Chubby little fingers all stuffed with love. Hey, Joseph, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm just going to move this so I can make some noise. Um, that squeaky noise, by the way, is my shitty chair. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> uh, we're talking about Rosalind uh, Russell today. Oh, man, what? we're jumping right in, baby. Yeah. I mean, I... Get them toes wet. Squishy <laughs> dispatch. Well, you know, you know who she reminds me? Who does she remind you of? Is there anyone she reminds you of? Is there a better open-ended question grandma. that leads? In, yeah, it's grandma, right? Yeah, it's fucking grandma. Yeah, of course, and yeah. in so many ways, and of course, in some ways, glaringly not, not so. Oh, I mean, for God's sake! Yeah, we could we could talk about that as well. But Rosalind Russell, um, first of all, our grandmother looks a bit. Yeah, she like looked. Rosalind. Well, looked. Yeah, looked. Both of them are dead. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, Rosalind, they had like the same, some of the same mannerisms. There was, I think, there was, I think it's a time and place situation. I think there's a certain number of sort of like not certainly not artistic, but social pretensions that the both of them sort of carried off and made. They both, they were both like kind of cool urban, you know, uh, party girls. Well, from the twenties, right? Yeah, 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 they, yeah. They mean, yeah, maintaining that ethic, you know, from the twenties into the thirties and all like that. And then, you know, granted, our our grandmother lived, ended up living in Daly City for God's sakes, which is you know the furthest. But she she tried to maintain sort of that uh, kind of glamorous, you know, living in a hotel in an urban setting sort of thing from the twenties. You know. Well, that's not exactly what I meant, but it, but that's an interesting take on it. I, I when I think of the stylistic sensibilities of our grandmother and how they relate to Ross and Russell, it's not actually like a sort of Mad Men-esque. It's actually that there was a sort of obligation of women, I guess I would say white women in America, of a middle class status. Upper that, middle that, class. Upper middle class that when they lived in the suburbs mm-hmm. and they had this ordinary life, there was something um, that was showy about it. And so it's of that time. It's like you played bridge. It, you could be in your house, but even in your house, you wouldn't wear what they called dunderees or jeans. You, I guess you'd have one pair of jeans for gardening or something. Right, right, right. Maybe. And, and you'd have, you'd have a, a large collection of cocktail glasses yes which and, and a Japanese motif to your house or some fucking thing exactly and you have you <laughs> know silk crumble. robes that your husband brought home from the war mm-hmm. um, that hopefully some other whore didn't wear before you and you had you know you this this a standing appointment at the ha- a hair salon yeah you know and there's yeah. a sort of like a, 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 and and um, you had you had your uh, clothes a lot of them laundered so yeah. they'd come back in those brown mm-hmm. bags with a, with a twine around them and so I, that's what I think I mean it's not it's, gla- it's not this isn't glamorous, but it's like you had some sort of obligation um, to your life that was sort of um, putting on this really good sort of charming face to the world. Yeah, it's a yeah. very bridge cl- bridge mentality, the yeah. game, the card mm-hmm. game, right? Sure. That's what I mean, and I don't think you're wrong either. I think that that in some ways our grandmother, you know, she did some modeling weirdly. We're the, we're <laughs> the second generation product of a model grandmother, <laughs> um, but but Ugh. she did some modeling early on. Um, and, and Apple so, rolled very far from very the far from the tree, out of the fucking orchard altogether. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so, so it's like, yeah, a little bit of both. I think our grandmother's sort of edging that way, you know, and, and a bit sort of trapped in the in the suburban, but also being of an age, if if you could, and she could, mm. you, you you tried to sort of. Um, you know, you filed your your nails, and you drank a certain type of scotch, and and you had a a, Ch- a Chesterfield, and you know you had all these sort of names for Davenport, and oh, these yeah, certain yeah. types of furniture you had in your house, and that's what I mean. Yeah. So so there's that, and then there's also like Ross, go ahead. I like the fact that basically what's happening here is that we're we've it's so easy to equate like we're going to be talking about the second movie we're going to be talking about we're already starting to reference it because what we're talking about with Rosalind Russell is is from that right there. Well, I'm going to actually because I was going to move on. I think it has something to do with the first part of the movie too. I mean the first movie, but I know what you're saying. Okay, yes, more right. the second part, but also there was an obligation toward um, like uh, Woody repartee. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and so absolutely, like, man. I, I cocktail know. parties, like having a party and having you know having uh, guests as interesting as you could get them to come on in, right? It's a very it's it's Holly Golightly as well. I mean, but it's very much this. But even in your domestic life, it's like if you had dinner with the family, it's like you had it at the same time. You didn't put your elbows on the table. There was no small talk. You yeah, know, you better have a real like sense of the language and communication and yeah. the obligation to 
sort of like become it's not hot pockets. Person. It's not hot pockets in front of uh, in front of a reality TV show, right? Right, and and and, be, and you didn't sort of like magically hope that you became an interesting person. It was your obligation to, to cultivate to interest in your, <laughs> to become an interesting person. Yes, yes, yeah. And so she brings that to the table. So like these movies are very different, and and I don't know, you know, they're they're eighteen years apart, but something tells me that there's a a, a part of her story that I, I, despite my research, I'm not quite up on because she aged a lot between 1940 which is the first movie and 1958 the second movie yeah but I gotta say she did age a lot but she kind of she still she still worked it she still looked okay yeah um but but so okay Spencer Tracy oh like yeah oh my god <laughs> so so um yeah, so I mean, we can we can jump into the first film because it had we, there's a lot to say about that. Oh, I think you and I are going to really yeah. carve it up off the second film. Yeah, um, but we, we can start. We're going to start. You know, there are all these films that are worth mentioning for her, and, and for, for us. Well, I, I, first of all, before I forget, I want to do an honorable mention that um, one of her last films is my mom's favorite movie, I think, and it's um, Where Angels Go, Trouble Follows, and she plays like the nun um, oh, headmistress of a it. of a school. A Catholic school. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a dog shit movie, but it's kind of a fun movie, and it also fits in with you know Rosalind Russell. Russell was a um, like Jane Russell actually, um, uh, um, very Catholic. Yeah, very yeah. very Catholic. Right? Yeah, of course. And, but but then the other thing is that a movie we're not doing because we did it in the William Inge episode oh, is it's a movie that you and I. I mean, it's not even her movie, but no. it's like you know we really know her first from the movie Picnic, where she played yeah, the, the, the spinstress school teacher. Fuck, man, yeah. And, and her horrible, hor- I mean, wonderfully horrible, depressing, magnetic speech where she begs Howard to, to <laughs> this, marry her. The schlubby fucking loser. It's almost, it's one of those things where, like, uh, Schindler's List in a, a three-hour movie gets gets as, almost as sad as this, like, four-minute moment in fucking Picnic. And it's just, it's so goddamn upsetting. It's upsetting to It's watch. socially upsetting. It's upsetting if you've, if you've ever touch that territory in your own life and it's upsetting if you never have if you've just seen other people you know yeah, if you oh, have been someone who made it and, and it's the thing too which is I think that that <laughs> scene as well as what the two movies we're going to be talking about today were Rosalind Russell at her strongest she was uh, kind of, I would say she had a quality of being very theatrical yeah very as I say chewing the scenery sort of thing like yeah. she's really over the top yeah and it's seeming natural and Okay, like yeah, yeah there's something of it. She's so she just has this mesmerizing quality no. with overacting yeah. that she gets away with it. She's so good at it. Well, I don't want to give. I mean, first of all, I would say the third movie that fits into that category that we're not touching on is 62's Gypsy. That's kind of her last, like you know, uh, I've heard of that. I've never seen major. it. Yeah, I've never seen that. And, and and it's like this references a second movie, and I'll get back to it. But but part of what works for Rosalind Russell is how much you see her working something, whether something uh, actually works yeah. or doesn't work. You're kind of taken she's by the fact that, that she that fucking, commits She's got her role. teeth into that fucking thing. Yeah. And that's, that thing's going to get did whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. So, so we start with 1940s um, His Girl Friday. His Girl Friday. Which, of course, Cary Grant got top billing, but it's really her movie. I mean, yeah. it's definitely her movie. I love the fact that we, like, we on our uh, Cary Grant episode, we like, had almost a, we had a similar cast. Like, there was a lot of, there's a lot of crossover. There's Cary Grant, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ralph, Ralph Bellamy. Bellamy. Yeah, yeah. Is there this movie had other others? Uh, I think there were a couple of other minor players, but it was just kind of interesting watching those two guys back in very doing very similar things, quite frankly. Very similar role. Well, there's also, I, I don't know if you caught this, there are two, um, uh, uh, I mean, before we get started, it's a movie about um, the, the newspaper world, and we'll get into it, yeah. but there are two sort of... Um, uh, 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 ace reporters who've been around for a while. One is the father from the Petrified Forest. Yeah. Did you catch that? And then the other one is from It Happened One Night, the guy on the bus who recognizes Claude L. Cover. My name's Shipley, and I like my lady Shapely. <laughs> He's also one of one of the. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't notice that for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so um, yeah, we have Rosalind Russell, we have Cary Grant, and we have this is the movie by the way. Cary Grant um, introduced, kind of forced Rosalind Russell to meet this man who, who'd been bothering a friend of, of Cary Grant's. I forget his name, but um, 
he really wanted to meet Ross and Russell, and Cary Grant obliged, kept pushing this guy on Ross and Russell, and uh, they ended up marrying and, until she died in the mid 1970s. Really? Okay. Uh, that's not cool. A, not a very interesting fact. No, that's kind of cool. Though. Third billing is, Ra- uh, is Ralph um, Bellamy. Ralph Bellamy. Which, by the way, I have to say, one of like I, the, I think my favorite meta joke of all time I in the middle that. of a fucking movie. It's really great. Somebody's asking him to describe uh, Ralph Bellamy's character. He's like, oh, I look like that guy in the movies, uh, Ralph Bellamy. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. Scene. I want to think. I, I want to think that Cary Grant improvised that line and they left it in there. I, a, I doubt it because oh, it was. It's such a perfect. Line. Those are great. There are great traditions of that. You know that scene in, in the apartment where uh, Jack Lemon is being confronted for the very first time by Fred McMurray about his apartment, the apartment key that's going around, uh-huh, uh-huh. and and it's Dexter. Baxter, Baxter, whatever it is, Baxter, Baxter. Yeah, something. Baxter. Yeah. Baxter. So Jack Lemmon's character, this he's he's got a cold and he's got this sort of like sinus medication. You know the stuff you what is that called? Flonase, that type of thing. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, 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 nasal uh, spray. Nasal spray. And and uh, Fred McMurray says um, something surprising in the dialogue, and Jack Murray like whoa! He squeezes a nasal spray and it goes across the desk uh, like, like a jizz shot, basically, <laughs> for Fred McMurray. And it was totally improvised. And if you go back and watch it, Fred McMurray barely conceals, like, his jolting <laughs> out of the seat, and it's perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, not improvised, but extemporaneously sort of sprung yeah, onto uh, the scene or something to make everyone... Such a lovely little uh, so, a joke. So, you know, Ralph Bellamy plays what he played in, in The Awful Truth, uh, yeah. which is the sort of like the bumpkin. The, the bumpkin, the good guy yeah. who's going to be like the second husband. In this the, case, nah, the, the annoyingly good guy yeah. whose mom is there. I would say in this case, he's a little less annoying than he was in The Awful Truth. He He's not cool. Yeah. He's nicer and less bumpier. But yeah. bumpkin bump, or whatever. Bump, but less, having less of the quality of bumpkin is. Yes. He's... <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't know if this word exists. So, so, so um, you know, and, and instead of Irene Dunn, of course, it's it's Rosalind Russell. So Rosalind Russell enters the um, newspaper office uh, with Ralph Which, Bellamy. By the way, Irene Dunn had been one of the one of the previous one of the people I think in line for this job who passed it up. Yeah. Apparently, a bunch of really big names passed it up before it fell to Ross and Russell. Well, the, 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 the myth is that she was like 15th on the list. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like she was way God, down the fucking list. She was so circuit. good in this. Well, oh, I mean, yeah, but you know, you know, like, but there were a couple of other women who could have pulled it. Like Catherine Hepburn was was like the first choice. Okay, I think Stanwyck might have been up there or something like that. Uh, a couple of women who could have, I think, pulled it off. But Ross and Russell made this. This is like what, this is all. I could see defining. Myrna Loy. I could see um, Irene Dunn. I could see a. a, a a few. Yeah. Janet Gaynor, by the way, I could see doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it doesn't it's, matter. But, but it fell to Ross. Yeah, they answered the, the, the truth is Ross and Russell you like, sunk her teeth into this motherfucker yeah. and made it work. Well, it's somewhat based on a movie I've seen both versions. There's a 1932 version. Um, it, it, it's, it's similar called The Front Page. And it's 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 got the same basic. Oh, outlines. it's the, it's that I think that I think that front page. I think the front page is the book that this movie is actually based on. But they changed it. Well, what they added radically. Well, what they just added something actually. What they just added was the whole scene of the ex-wife who's a journalist. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was, of course I think the, the journalist had originally been a guy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, in it, the book, it, it's really just what what in this what in this movie is the B plot. Yes, yeah. just the whole plot of the front page. And then there's a, 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 a 1976 version with. Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon. that's horrendous. Oh my God. It's just terrible. <laughs> but, 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 but my understanding is the conceit on this particular movie is yes, they, yeah, they took this idea of this editor and his hot ace for, and his ace reporter yeah. who were both men in the original thing mm-hmm. and they just basically made her a female and, and his ex-wife. Right. And so that's why, so that's what makes this such an extraordinary role for Rosalind Russell. Yeah. She's not doing like a tough She's doing like she's doing a you know a tough uh, no nonsense woman. She's doing a guy as as a woman, which is kind of interesting because like the, I don't think I don't know if they even changed any of the fucking dialogue. Well, I mean, there's a which couple kind of, of makes it such an interesting uh, study. I think I could I could smell if there are any weak spots in this movie. There are a few. Yeah. I could smell the the writers I hired to punch up and 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 rewrite because you'd get these sort of like moments where uncharacteristically Ross and Russell's character would be like sort of imply that she'd also like a man in her life and to settle down yeah. and it's like well that just feels tacked 
on. It just yeah. sort of felt weird, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that whole ending gets really fucking weird if you think about it for even a moment. Well, it's got comedy of errors all over it, right? Yeah. So even more than, than the front page from which it's adapted, it's got this sort of like crazy coincidences and misunderstandings and, and the use of, you know, 1940s still, I guess, new-ish communication of telephones uh, and what happens if you put like six telephones in a room, right? Yeah, like yeah, what's, yeah, what are they, you know, and it's and it's in there as a so is a serious social commentary on like um, the corruption of local politics. Oh yeah, of course. Um, uh, the the avarice of the newspaper too. You know the greed for the headline, right? Right. Well, you you At provide all, the headline, uh, I'll provide the war type of yeah, thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serious yellow journalism. I mean, let's not overlook the fact. That, let's not overlook the fact that Cary Grant's character in this movie as entertaining and funny as he is. Yeah. This, this I think this might be Cary Grant's best role for me. That's the one I love the most. Him playing Rupert Burdock, yes. Yes, I, yeah. I, I agree. No, no, he's a psychopath. Yeah, he's he, he plays in this. He's a complete lunatic. He has no fucking mind. Zero compunction about anything, no matter how awful it is. He he frames Ralph Bellamy for like five fucking crimes in this movie. Yeah, and he leaves people in serious like legal jeopardy yeah. numerous times. All in this the movie. time. Yeah, with, with with zero regret or even like a moment's consideration. Yeah. Well, what? completely. It's like the you know, like that twenty question uh, thing. If you take the you know, Ferris Bueller's character and you ask the yeah. twenty questions, he yeah. comes out as a psychopath. Yeah, this guy's this guy's worse than Ferris Bueller, man. He's like it's a monster. Years ago, I took my son to Hawaii, <laughs> and we 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 got him a couple of days off of school to go to Hawaii on the premise that he would bring back a report. So he got one of those science boards, you know, that folds out. Oh, okay. And I took him to on a tour of the CNH Sugar Factory. So he put together on Maui. So he put together this presentation and he glued uh, marshmallows to the presentation. He brought it back and they gave him, you know, an A, even though he didn't deserve it. And then he had it in his room. And then one day I saw a line of thousands of ants <laughs> going to his room and I realized he never threw out the sugar. And I opened the science project and I couldn't figure it out because there were these whole marshmallows untouched until I finally touched the marshmallow and realized the ants had gone inside the marshmallow and just hollowed everything but the shell out. And Tom, that's what we're doing with this episode in a way and I don't <laughs> We've, we've, we uh, haven't talked about the plot, but I don't mind. The plot is so... It, the plot is so it convoluted. Is, it should be secondary. Let's, I mean, let's go over it in a minute. But like, we're, The plot is, uh, is, is uh, A, mostly negligible, B, horribly confusing in a number of different ways. Yeah, like, and I don't mind. I no. couldn't, like, because, yeah, they're, they're on this crime beat, and they're trying to... Okay, so, yeah, so... So, uh, so she shows up she, she shows up fuck. with this new husband. She, she, uh, no, no, fiancé. Fiance, she wants to introduce sorry. her fiancé to her ex, who's a maniac. Right. <laughs> Got a thing for her, you know. Yeah, sort of. You know, he mistreats her, but his mistreatment is his way of showing love. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like he's not. It's not like he's not. It, it, it's never really clear that he's in love with her, but he misses having her to abuse. <laughs> Let's put it this way, Tom. Your mother could have played this role as well. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, she would have been very conflicted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, but okay, so so um, uh, Cary Grant tries to maneuver. Let me see if I get it right, and then just slap me into correction, whatever ooh, ooh, possible. Okay. He tries to maneuver Ross and Russell back into the game, obvious, and, and in a way out of this impending marriage. Whether it's to get back together with him or not isn't exactly clear how serious he would be about that. So, so um, no. Oh, but that's part of his whole Stockholm Syndrome thing he's got with this woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk <laughs> about it. Is, is her fascination with the job is his hold on. God damn it. We're turning this into a social no, no, go justice ahead, go ahead. So, thing. But like, it's like her fascination with the job, which truly consumes her. Like when she gets into it, she yeah. loves being this fucking sure. reporter, yeah. which she's very fucking good at. And, you know, and with the natural pride of somebody who's super good at something. Yeah. Oh, he uses that like as a weapon. That's like part of his part of his kind of hold on her. You, like I said, you never know exactly where he's coming from, except to know that he definitely wants to take advantage of her. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, when people fall in love too. Like it's like two writers fall in love. It's it's kind of like oh, you're getting for some hard times, but it also is kind of fun the way like like two people in love who love to write will correct each other's stuff. They're they're so sure driven by the mutual passion, right? Yeah, right, and mutual passion, and also let's just be honest. Like there's a certain extent to which abuse is genuinely a relationship that people do live in sometimes. I think Virginia. I think you know who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. One of the great you know things about that you take away is that these two couldn't fucking live without each other. Yeah, <laughs> you know. It's, so there, 
there seems to be something of that quality, and and and, and I think they almost sort of they, they nodingly acknowledge it, I guess, to a certain extent. But it's uh, it's part of it. But okay, so anyway, so let's do the plot so, just a little bit. So here. so so um, oh, fuck, Cary Grant. I thought we were gonna go like we were gonna be doing this on the second movie. Turns out we're already doing it on the. Well, first. Well, this uh, because the second movie made us forget there's so much to talk about with the first movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so, so um, Cary Grant invites them both to lunch, and somehow through lunch maneuvers many reasons for them not to get on the train to Albany, which yeah. is where they're headed to, to get married the next day. Right. So to live the you know the the, the suburban life, you know the dream, right? That's right. What she, that's what she's shooting for now with this new man who's going to provide. And by the way, a lot of a lot you know what, what characterizes Cary Grant, what makes him bearable in some way is is that he does a lot of like W. C. Fields thing. I noted that about him before. He's the funny. way he's, but, he's literally hilarious. But it's the classic sort of like let me go shake the hand of this new guy, but I shake the umbrella handle that yeah. type of yeah. you know what I mean that that type of, of humor from the, the 30s and well that seems a classic scene because not only does he walks in and like auto, he, he knows Ralph the Ralph oh, yeah. character is the fiance he, but he immediately turns to like this old beelines to an octogenarian <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really yeah. a funny scene and then when the octogenarian finally says I'm not the man he turns to him and says well this is none of your business then it's a classic <laughs> you know it's yes. a classic screwball comedy and, yeah. and almost nobody I mean Catherine Hepburn's great but nobody's better than Cary Grant I think at screwball comedy I mean, no. he's just—he's yeah. the master of that game. I mean, Clark Gable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are contenders okay, yeah, for people, sure. People in the in the ring. And and so then then enters this, this sort of <coughs> line too, which is that like as Cary Grant is creating scenarios which keep Ralph Bellamy and Ross and Russell in town longer, there is also this other story where somebody this guy has been convicted. He's going to be go to the gallows the next day. Yeah. Which weirdly, by the way, this is a serious downfall of the movie. The gallows are constructed next to the right, newspaper to the office yeah, because it was a play originally. Yeah, right, right. Of course, and, and so um, and so, like we're given, like, how do we feel about this guy who's on trial for shooting not just a policeman mm-hmm. but a colored policeman? And what's weird about now here's where the movie yeah, because shows the co- it's, because the colored police. The colored vote really counts in this. This is the one city on the planet, apparently, where the colored. Well, no, I America. think it is. I think there are stories. You know, if you read like James Baldwin and his accounts of of, of riots in Harlem, you, you will find that it does count, but it counts in the most cynical way. Yeah, the mayor, oh, yeah. the mayor knows he needs this this section. So, so finally, I imagine from 1940 standards, he's going to pay attention to one. Thing that yeah, bothers right. um, the so-called colored population because yeah. an election is looming. Right. So it actually and, and the bad guy, the the guy that they're about to hang, couldn't be more Walter Mitty if he fucking tried. Like they, I can't remember the name. I don't know. I don't know the name of the actor, but he's but he's before. always like this. He's always a nebbish. Like he just yeah, plays, he's, like yeah. the, he's like the nebbish when they're like we need a nebbish and they just call him. Up, they got him on. Is nebbish out. a term by the way that goes outside of of Jewish male? Identity is it a general term? I yeah, think yeah. I think it's. I think it is a general. But yeah, term. I would say yeah. he's a nebbish for sure. Um, <laughs> and, and so he has shot. He has shot this police officer who's colored. And, and the uh, I'm putting quotes, air quotes, every time I say the word colored, but it's contextualized here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, who shot this colored police officer, and that's a problem, and it's a cynical problem for the mayor and the sheriff who are up for re-election, right. all this sort of stuff. So he awaits the gallows. Now, by the way, Rosalind Russell and the rest of these guys, they're not as bad, not as cynical, and not as mean as Cary Grant, but they also don't give a shit about this guy. Uh, yeah, they give a shit about the story. Yeah. yeah. And then and then that story has like its own beeline in which there's a... I, I guess she's implied to be a prostitute who, who felt like the guy who's in prison and going to the gallows was kind to her and so she's going to be a supporter but of course the newspapers are playing up that relationship like local prostitute yeah, relationship yeah, with uh, he's banging a whore <laughs> that was actually Nicely put. Yeah, so isolate that that you're right are you a headline writer he's playing a whore <laughs> That's your ringtone. And I mean, I mean, and, and that's it. I mean, there's, I, there, I think, I don't know we if getting get into minutia is, is important, but it, you, I think the whole, th- I think that stops making sense for me after a little while. Like, I'm not sure why that. this turns around and bites the mayor's ass in the end. I mean, but it's just one excuse after another for people <laughs> to sort of be misunderstood, caught being, you and, know, less and, than. Oh, and like, and comedy of errors situation. Yeah, exactly. Like they played that up so much that it almost, it, it almost, it stops making sense. Like Rosalind Russell is this amazing investigator reporter who scoops everybody by finding this murderer 
who escaped from the jail. Uh, but she didn't do shit to find him. She just walked into a room and there he fucking was. Right, right. Right. So, you know, so, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, and the amount of times, Cary Grant not only keeps putting her fiance in jail, in jail, and her, her, and his, his mother. mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's framing people for crimes to get his way. Oh, but I will God. say this, you know, a, compared but it's so, it's, uh, it's great compared to, to the more. awful truth, I would say Bellamy is much stronger in this one. And that, he wasn't weak in that one, but I mean, the character they give him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting sure. to see that later on in life, you know, whether it's the professionals in the mid 1960s with Burt Lancaster and Lee Marvin and Strother Martin, let's not forget, mm-hmm. uh, or um, later on in his his tr- most you know triumphant role, Trading Places with Don Amici, uh, Ralph Bellamy <laughs> played only That's assholes. Right. He had two careers. His first career was the rube, the, the put-upon yeah. rube, and his second mm-hmm. career was complete assholes. No, yeah, okay. That's, that's fucking lovely, man. I'll take God it. bless him, dude. Yeah, I love, I love, I like those those comeback stories. William Shatner is, is the guy to be have the greatest career in all fucking Hollywood. It's he's had four careers. About the first one. He's had four careers. It's yeah. amazing. Um, all right, so, so, um, is a lot of people give this his like, girl Friday right four yeah first girl Friday four stars out of four stars I don't know I'd go somewhere between three and four it definitely just for the canon's sake for screwball yeah, comedies yeah, yeah. Screwball it might comedy, be like it's one of the blueprint. top yeah it's like one of the, it's it's one of the best of the screwball comedies it's so much so that I think they try to copy it in certain contexts later on like one two three yeah is a lot is, well, that's a good a example somewhere yeah. in this here uh, but it is I mean it's 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 your this is a quintessential if you're gonna if if I had to recommend a screwball comedy, I, you couldn't do any. You couldn't do much better than this. I don't think. You know, is there a better screwball than this? It might be the best screwball comedy. You and I um, were at the farmers market yesterday, and we got into uh, debate each other's butts. Oh yeah, and we just the gayest thing back and forth. <laughs> um, we got into a debate um, in which oh. I forwarded some hyperbole that I'd now like to take back, and it's that because. And I think you asked me to take back as a result, too. This is a real take-back conversation. And that I was saying, like, how can you not like Quentin Tarantino's Glorious <laughs> Bastards? And then I said, like, foot down, he's the best writer of dialogue in all of movie history. And, <laughs> and I want to yeah, say this. I want to say yeah, okay. this. I, th- I do think he's way up there. I think his, his dialogue uh, writing is amazing. I will say this. I think. Currently, yeah, he is un- he is unmatched yeah. as far as his care with dialogue. But I, I forgot to sort of compartmentalize because it's like okay, whether it's his girl Friday or some like it hot, it's like okay, well, there's screwball comedies yeah. or comedy of error, and that's you almost it's apples and oranges. This is up there, you know, this type of writing. There's yeah, there's um, great Ingmar dialogue. Bergman. Right. The dialogue in in scenes from Marriage is painful but good. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah, I would say Tarantino in a certain area, but movies like this um, remind me of different areas that just mm. shouldn't even be in the same conversation. Of which the dialogue is snappy, great, it's beautiful. Uh, it's yeah, just, no, it's, it's the kind of thing I love about the Simpsons. I'm sorry to, to be so good writing. Uh, it's just good writing. Yeah, don't apologize for liking good writing, dude. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like some no, people might you off the hook here. <laughs> some people might talk. <laughs> I might bring up the Simpsons and his girl Friday. And it's like, but in a way, they come from the birth from the same effort. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, it, it's the Simpsons has this great sort of a joke, meta joke on itself one time where Dr. Hibbert is watching um, a symphony at a 4th of July picnic and, and the 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 the, um, the symphony um, does a little riff on the Star Wars theme, mm-hmm. and Hibbert um, to himself says, "I wonder if anyone else got that." And the joke really is that <laughs> that's what Simpsons viewers do. They watch the Simpsons and then turn like, "Did anyone yeah. else catch what I caught?" Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's also what what this movie does and screwball comedies do. You could, I'm sure there are things we didn't get. Like yeah. if we went back, it'd be like, "Oh, there's another like Easter egg of dialogue in there." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Easter yeah. is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. No, no, it's yeah, nugget, a nugget of glorious, a nugget of a glorious. Nug, a we sweet, should be writers. A sweet, a sweet hairy nugget. <laughs> and that's the thing too. I mean, it's like we're talking about. We're just talking about good writing, and and like and uh, his girl Friday has that has that fucking quality of really good writing, and that nothing is ever really th- like nothing's really a throw. There's there's some uh, that there there's so much that keeps coming back into the dialogue and into yeah. the action of the movie later on. Yeah, I, I'd like to say that there's no. You know, there's no effort waste, and in the best of writing, you know, nothing is wasted. There might be a few things in this. I'd, I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but yeah. it's just like this economy of writing that gets the most out of itself. And I would say, as you and I t- tend to favor writers, and so we'll we'll uh, yeah. we'll we'll say, hey, the actors, there's no nothing without the writer. But in in these instances. 
the oh, writing also can't accurate. come to life without an Irene Dunn or a Rosalind Russell or a Cary Grant. Yeah, yeah, a lesser actor would have butchered Cary Grant's <clears throat> character. Yeah, butchered because that's the thing. He's a hateful person. Yeah, like in every sense of the word. And yet, Cary Grant is charming. He makes it. He's this fucking charming, charming, hateful person. And what is, you miss half of it sometimes. You're not paying attention. You you miss what a mean mistreater this guy is. Charming isn't isn't the right word for what I'm about to say. But I heard this episode. I, I forget what I was listening to because I this turned me off to it. This guy was was. It, it's a show where he try he gets people on his show to convince him to like things he's always hated. And that's an interesting concept, but uh, he was like, I hate, I'm a comic, and I hate Seinfeld. And and so these people were coming on, they're, well, they're trying to be generous, like, you're an idiot, but let's let's go through it. And he's like, well, who do you who do you root for? There's no one to root for. And it's like, yes, that's true. Yeah. There's no one to root for. And he, goes, he, said, he said, well, comedies are like that. You have to have someone to root for. And I thought, well, maybe that's what's great about Seinfeld, is it yeah. did something different. And in a way... I almost think this is an earlier version of Seinfeld. That that mentality. Who do you root for in His Girl Friday? Oh God! Who do you root for in The Awful Truth, for that matter? A whore. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, and it's like that doesn't. That's not a problem. Uh, that's, that's actually that's, sort of an inventive thing you're doing. It's a nice way to look at it. It never occurred to me. Oh, yeah. Rosalind. I guess you you root for her, but even she's kind of. <laughs> Even like yeah, she's manipulating like lesser beings in sure. the interest of getting her story. So she's a kind of an asshole too. Yeah, basically the person, the only person she's not manipulating Bellamy, is the person she can't, and that's yeah. Cary Grant. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And Ralph Bellamy, you're like, you, yeah, I guess you you like he's the victim going on, but at the same time, as a you look at him and go, oh, like he's so stupid. He's being, you know, the, he lets himself be. You you can, you're blaming the victim. The guy who him. loves this woman who will never date him, but gets him to drive her to his dates. <laughs> You can feel so. You can feel sorry for him two times, but, but not the fourteenth time. Kind of resentful of like his yeah his own participation in his. That own was the thing, by the way, with Nixon. Do you remember reading? Nixon loved Pat Nixon, uh-huh. and um, but she didn't love him back, and he would drive her and her dates just to show how much he loved her. It's no wonder he was such an asshole. God damn it! God damn you, Nixon! Nobody loved him. That's what it was. You know, my mother-in-law loves him still. Ooh. She loves him. She cried when he resigned. Oh yeah. Well, she's also yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so, so we we mentioned she's kind of a lunatic. Yeah. We mentioned um, 1955's picnic, and then I just assumed mm. foolishly that between 55 and 58, Rosalind Russell had made movies. She had not, and I I take the reason to be that she did not make movies those two years is she was doing this. Play yes, on Broadway was, for two years. Yeah, so there's, there's a reason like the, she owns this play. This play was practically written for her by this point, and it's Anti Man. Anti Man, yeah, which was made as remade in '74 by Lucille Ball. Her as last Mame, movie yes. as Mame. I haven't seen it. I kind of don't want to. I think I did see it, and uh, it didn't make a hell of an impression on me. This movie's made an impression, of course. Well, okay. So the thing I want to point. <laughs> Yeah, let's just let's start from the inside. I want to point out something about... First of all, I think this movie in some ways works and in some ways terribly does not work. Well, okay, first off, it thinks it's Apocalypse Now. It goes for two and a half hours or some goddamn thing. It's really long. Oh, the horror. It's super, the horror. super long. Okay, well, one of the problems... It could have used our kernel in the middle going... Ah, one of the problems immediately is that it's so much this play that she triumphed in that they don't make enough effort to take it from play to movie. And yeah, one, one example yeah, that drove me nuts right. was every time there was an act break in this movie, yeah. the lights would dim with one spotlight on her. And it's like, what movie has that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah also, it was really, I mean, a, kind of an interesting conceit. I just don't think it was all that successful. And, and, and the thing about plays... Because you're so limited, there's a buy-in. When, when an audience goes into a theater, unless they're assholes, there's a buy-in, which is like, okay, we'll make what obviously doesn't work, we'll make it yeah. work, at, we'll be co-conspirators here. Yeah, yeah. You don't have that in a movie, so you can't do that. You know, the things they do to, to make this play-like in a way. No, no, yeah, not in a way. Like, deliberately, they're going for it. They're, yeah. They really want that. Somehow somehow they think that by, by making it seem like a movie that you're the play that you're watching, but it's in a movie theater. Yeah, it's yeah. They're, they're really fucking hell for leather for that whole concept. But it's, it's not just it's Damn, not, it's weird. It's not just sorry. I'll, I'll let you go, but it's not just the, like the physical space or the lighting. It's even some of the writing because 
there are, were lines from like um, smaller characters. They would deliver a line, and I thought to myself, I'd probably be hooting if I were in the theater. Yeah. Because there was like a pause after this crazy line. It just doesn't translate to the screen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah. I guess we're kind of starting out on the flaws of this movie, and there are a bunch of flaws in this movie. And there are things to like about it. Oh, and, and as yeah. the number one thing is, Rosalyn Russell is trying so hard. It, you are on her side. Yeah, that's what I'm movie. saying. Like I, I was saying it earlier, like yeah. she's at her best when she's chewing the hell out of the yeah, scenes, yeah. man. And she's, she's no more so than in this movie. Like, and she, yeah. like I said, she's a master at it, and this is her master class in how to do it. Like she is eating up the scenery, like really outshining everybody else on that screen. Nobody else comes across. Uh, and so much so that, you know, the, like a lot of the flaws just kind of carry through. You just don't mind them so much. She's so good to watch in this movie. Some of them, I mean, look, the, the, the premise is that her, I guess her brother has died, who she's not, she's kind of estranged from. Yeah, that's right. And, and, um, well, because he's an asshole and she's this cool, blithe spirit of New York. She's yeah, a fucking Holly Golightly I think because you've seen enough movies like that have that type of character since then, mm-hmm. you you already expect that she's an asshole and you're going to get the flaws up close and begin to see the complication of somebody who's yeah. so, you know, carefree and yeah, about yeah, doing what yeah. she wants in the world. Right. You know, I don't mind it though. I mean there's a whole like I, I mentioned when I'd only seen half of it yesterday, Pocket Full of Miracles. You know, I mean I'll go along with a, a almost a Christmassy type aspect yeah, to it, right? Yeah, yeah. But but okay, so here's a good example of, of like a plot twist that, that doesn't that tr- Works in the theater and doesn't work on screen. This this kid, who by the way uh, resembles a pubescent Gore Vidal, <laughs> was all I could think of. But but actually, but of the two, watching <laughs> this is what they meant by pantyways back in the day. Yeah, but you know what? I actually I like the kid actor a lot more than yeah. I, I like the the, the adult version, version of him. Yeah. But but um, he's delivered by whatever. It's the classic, you know, um, Citizen Kane uh, delivery by lawyer of, of now uh, uh, Diane Keaton's baby boo. Oh yeah, and this again, this again represents like there's a lot of there's a lot of the upper echelon of a New York society that you that a doesn't exist anymore, and if it did, you and I would have no access to. But it's fine. It's it's the nineteen the early or mid nineteen twenties. It's yeah. a couple years before the, the stock crash. It's believable because we already have a, a mythos about the twenties in America, and the yeah, jazz yeah, age. Everybody, and yeah, every, everybody lived like York. fucking uh, like what's his name from Swing Time or whatever. Uh, I don't. I want to get you reference. I'm almost there. Uh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody lived like Fred Astaire. Back. Sure, sure. So, so he's delivered, and it's like, okay, um, she's she's in the middle of a uh, what's that? Swing time. Is that even the name? No, of no, it is. I, it was a good reference. I just didn't oh, get it at first. Um, um, we should do an episode on. Fred Astaire? Should we do Fred Astaire or Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? How about we do Ginger Rogers? How about we do (laughs) just the third build person in the movie? So, so we've done that. So it's like, okay, you know, of course, I guess she's expecting this kid to be delivered, but she's in the middle of a party in which, you know, it's like naked philosophers or something. Yeah, she's like, she thinks it's September 31. Guess what? September doesn't have 31 days. It's supposed to be delivered on the first, and so of course on the third. Yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. Because she's flighty. And she's, she's artistic as fuck. I mean, look, we had an uncle who was like this in a way, you know. Probably this is a little less money, but Uncle Harry. Right. And there's I mean, apparently there's an aunt we never met, Aunt, aunt May. Yeah. That uh, that uh, that uh, everybody who had met her said that she was Auntie May. Grace, Aunt Grace, in her day, and she had her one one armed husband, Jack. They were kind of <laughs> world travelers too. But but that's for a different uh, yeah. episode of our podcast. But but um but but it's sort of like here's here's something I don't buy. And by the way, to say you don't buy something in Auntie Mame is like, well, it's not my fault because I'm trying to be invested. Let's just talk about the the number of servants she manages to maintain uh, and, and, the the, and their characteristics. By the way, but. but but, um, no, they couldn't get him. But but within twenty four hours, she's in love with this charge of hers. Yes, and it's so. like I don't buy it. No, within minutes, dude. Yeah. she's glowing and gushing. And I mean, someone, she's got some mothering instincts that need to be. Somebody tried taken. to sort of explain it in the film, and it's like, well, she just sees this as her project. But and and if there had been a, a plot line where she openly abandons him for a new project, I would have sort of said, okay, we've seen this before, but at least there's a, a logic to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there isn't. Now, there are moments where she kind of is neglectful because she still has this other lifestyle where she wants to go off all over the place, right? Right, right, right. 
but it's not a terrible life for this kid. But but all the forces of like society, well, man, yeah, right. are trying to pull him in the other direction, right? Like a conservative boys. Exactly. So she sends him to the 1920s version of like a hippie school. Oh my because god! People, like, yeah, apparently the teachers and students run around naked. Like, no, that's playing I, leapfrog. I think he was molested. Exactly. I think that's what happened. <laughs> Like the fucking hairy bushes running around of the teachers would have been frightening. I don't know that the you know boys and girls thing like as kids would have. Well, been some of the bushes would have been bobs. It was the twentieth. <laughs> I mean, right, teachers, <laughs> they would have come through the door first. Uh, just, just like having naked teachers running around. What a horrifying notion that is. Yeah. Well, Russell Russell, Russell was Catholic, so maybe she was it was part of the influence. <laughs> but but she okay. Uh, hmm, that's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> That's good anti-Catholicism. <laughs> so, so uh, look, um, let's just accept it. He uh, adores her. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, the kid adoring her is, makes sense. Oh, she yeah. adores him for whatever reasons, mothering instincts, all of that. There's a, a, a suitor, a southern suitor from the outside who's not exactly trying to pull her out of that, but she's trying to change for him in a way. So it's like, is the boy going to feel abandoned? Well, that comes on a little bit later on. Please. Okay, so yeah. let's, go, let's go. First off, she starts off with... Uh, <laughs> with the Richard Nixon character, this guy who's always been trying trying to marry her, from, which means bang, uh, from uh, from the beginning of the movie all the way to the end of the movie. Wait, right? wait, wait I have to correct you here for a second. Don't suggest that marrying and bang is a, a synonym here because it's the twenties. Because this film has a lot of open banging references. Yeah, but 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 I that's one thing I liked about but, it. Well, okay, so I'm gonna I will go with you on that. I will say in this particular instance, this particular character, yeah, yeah. He's just trying to. He's trying to. He's trying to marry her and or bang her. Maybe he never. It's implied that he never does get into it. You know what he reminds me of is. Do you remember that movie with Janet Lee and Robert Mitchum, the Christmas movie? I love that movie. Yeah, I it's such a such What's a guilty pleasure. Do you remember this one? A Christmas affair, or something. something. But it was the third character <coughs> who was kind of that outside guy who was like yeah. a stand-up guy. Just too nice away. and yeah, reasonable yeah, to be yeah. an actual. Sorry to interrupt. I just felt so. No, he, so he's that character, and she's living her carefree lifestyle because I guess her parents were rich, which is why her brother was rich. Sure. Which is why she's it's never explained, but she's got she got money and it's all in the stock all market. All the stock market. And then nineteen twenty-eight comes around. Twenty-eight. Everything goes tits up, and she's yeah. on the phone listening to her stock market uh, stockbroker jump out a window. Yeah. Okay, and so then she's poor as fuck. And that's like the second act, yeah. right? It's her trying to uh, support any kind of a lifestyle at all while being poor, and her servants stick with her and pay her bills for her. Less <laughs> embarrassing German servant, but her <laughs> Japanese. No, not German, Irish. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. You're right. Faith and big heart. Yeah. Oh my God, she's so fucking Irish from the beginning. But then, yeah, her to her incredible Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> and they pay the bills for her. This is uh, my wife Literally and I. Way off the rails of believability. My wife right. and I are, are suddenly uh, interested in Downton Abbey. We're, we're watching. We're just burning through episodes of Downton Abbey. And I love. Have you seen Downton Abbey? No, no. Sorry, I, I don't mean to derail. But it, it's one of these issues. And it's it's not a social justice where it's just a it's like a human being curiosity thing. Is I like Downton Abbey. Yeah. But one of the things that bothers me is how much the servants are not just willing to do what they do for their job or sort of like their reasonable employers, mm -hmm. but they would just kill themselves for their employers. Uh, and it's but it's that it's part of the plot. Like, oh, isn't that sweet how they would like go to jail for their employer? It's like what? I haven't seen Downton Abbey, but I'm fascinated by this movie and other movies like it and also like by our just just by our grandmother. Like did you imagine can you imagine having a, a servant living in your fucking house? Does that make any sense? Well, I'm married, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and she does have one. <laughs> good reverse misogyny. Yeah. No, I just but it's but it's just the idea of having like somebody whose job it is to be in your house and cook meals for you, yeah. who's not part of the family in any way, except they kind of, they're part of the family, uh, but they're not at all. Uh, it, it's just so fucking mind blowing to me. I, I don't know anybody today who could like even. I don't really don't know anybody who could afford to do that. I mean, I know rich people do, but I don't know any rich people. So I don't know. So you're like it's a hoarder with no money. What are you talking about? Yeah, right. <laughs> I managed to pull it off. But this is interesting. Like even middle class people back yeah. in the days, it was as late as like, I guess the '60s, yeah. could afford to have a servant. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So anyways, so okay. So we get through the Great Depression, uh, but but her ticket out of the Great Depression is this Southern guy who happens to be insanely wealthy. So she of course marries an oil man. But I think she. Oil man in Georgia. Who I the think fuck she likes oil in fucking Georgia. Is there? 
Well, Texas would have made more. He sense. didn't mean uh, the oil like for gasoline. He he, he collected oil from fryers down there. Oh, damn it. <laughs> he made shampoo out of it. Mm. That's dog bones. This <laughs> is the whaling industry. <laughs> well, uh. well, yeah. I mean, I don't think she, I think she liked this guy because he was an empathetic character. He's a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a genuinely nice guy. But it also is a you know it it, it is certainly uh, convenient that he also happens to be you know crazy wealthy. I by the way the, the whole just thing Gushing out of the ground. She meets y'all. the family and somehow is tricked into to riding the hounds. Um, I, oh, yeah, I, by, a, by a suitor uh, for the guy, uh, another woman who wants the guy that she's about to marry, who's basically trying to kill me. It gives her a wild it's an assassination plot. Yeah, but you know, I, I know it was contrived and terrible, but I, I did actually kind of bust up laughing. I, I, Rosalind uh, Russell did a good job. Being, yeah. She did a, a, a Lucille Ball yeah, a, yeah, yeah, impersonation, yeah, yeah, essentially. It was, it was good slapstick comedy, for yeah. sure. And, of course, uh, the, the mother... I love the mother. That's my favorite character. In the, one of my favorite characters in the whole movie yeah. uh, is the old Georgia mother. She's like she she kind of hates everybody, and she's just a mean bitch. Yeah. She's a fucking battle. She's a battle axe in the best uh, you know form of the word. Maga, good lord, she's passing the hounds. Good lord, she just passed the fox, and they're yeah. hunting a fox. Yeah. Which I have, I love the fact that the fox ends up like hiding in her coat. She's like, oh little dear, and she hands him over. Well, and I think it was a stuffed animal too. It was also sort of like you know that when. They go off after that, and they, they're world traveling. Like, but this is another example. It's a movie. You don't have to climb up like a paper mache Matterhorn. <laughs> it doesn't have to be terrible. And when you're riding a horse, it's like a hobby horse. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, I, I could get past a lot of that stuff. Um, frankly, the, my favorite part of the movie was like the third act. Yeah. And one of my favorite reasons for that is the gooch. The gooch. The gooch. Like, she's uh, got this. She gets, she's she's commissioned to write her her memoirs because she's lived this incredible life. Which, and she's yeah, rich, she's rich again because yeah. her husband dies, falls off the Matterhorn, <laughs> paper mache Matterhorn. And but but she commissions this woman named the, the gooch. To, the, uh, that's, that's such a setup on a joke too. Yeah. And, but, well, there's oh, but but also. Um, uh, somehow she gets hooked up with like a kind of a ghostwriter, this sort of beatnik uh, prof- professorial type who doesn't actually do anything but uh, sit you around know, eating you know bonbons. Yolanda, I mean, he was like your favorite character in the whole movie. Uh, no, I know you wish you, who you wish you could have been, and hence I know what a piece of shit he is. <laughs> so a kept poet, <laughs> right? And so somehow she she he's trying to make uh, time with Mame, but Mame sort of um, uh, turns him onto the Gooch and does that classic sort of like if she take if the Gooch who's her like uh, yeah, record, yeah, takes the glasses the day, off yeah. and, and t- yeah all of a sudden but but what cracks <laughs> me up I didn't understand the Gooch at first she comes back the next day and she's limping and I think oh because it's because she's hungover and it becomes clear. As you go on, that she just got the shit fucked out of she her. She got pregnant. That's because, because she's she pregnant. Got, she That's why she's pregnant. limping. I mean, this movie takes chances, baby. <laughs> yeah, and then it's you know, there's a lot of stuff. That's I mean, like, I don't even know if the rest of it's worth talking about. It's the, it's the old the son the nephew is this older guy and the woman he falls in love with. And I, just, oh, I love fucking I love the sort of the, the through line of the joke about um, the restriction, the anti-Semitic res- restriction yeah, on property yeah. and. And, and um, anyway, clubs and turns stuff. it into an orphanage for Jewish and, and how Rosalind Russell must have had a personal sort of stake in this because she keeps just you know barbecuing the the anti semites right which yeah, yeah. essentially which, yeah tip for tat on that yeah I know I knew since I said barbecue I knew something was wrong with how I was <laughs> saying that <laughs> the she just gashes them all over and over again. yeah I know yeah, that poor word choice we're bad people anyway yeah so look I I mean, the thing is, I don't know that I could recommend Mame. I, oh, I, would say, I can. It's highly dependent on it's your a, mood. It's fucking adorable, it's but it's so long. long. It's fucking. It's so much longer than it ought to be. It needs to be I was just noting it's a few minutes shorter than The English Patient, and I think <laughs> technically about three minutes longer than Goodfellas. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh God. Well, it also it's the other problem with it being a play that was so her play. I have the strong suspicion that she was like um, uh, Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard like she wouldn't allow anything to be cut 
Because it was her baby. Oh, I, I, you know, if you want to get right down to it, I'm, I'm almost, I feel almost like visibly, I feel almost certain that 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 we were talking about the transition between act things with the with the spotlight. Oh, that yeah. just seems like that sounds like an actor conceit oh, more God. than anybody else's. Yeah. I mean, it's either it's either the actor or the director, and nobody else would have given a shit. About so, that. well, here's my take. I think His Girl Friday is a, is close to a great movie, at least a very good movie. It's certainly it's certainly the I don't know really story. what to say about Mame except that there are things. I do really like about it but what I come away from in this episode is I just whether any of her movies worked or not as a movie I mean even Picnic which I love has it's problems I just like Rosalind Russell and she's so fucking compelling and I and I, and I mean, is this com- the argument we made work. about Cary Grant on last week's episode <laughs> it's sort of like, I think so except I think I like these movies better than I like the Cary Grant movies somehow yeah, I would uh, say that, and I think, yeah. and I think, I think. Well, and again, Cary Grant, uh, Roz Russell leading in uh, his Girl Friday. That's a better movie than either of those other two by far. I think, even I guess, yeah. Fuck, I don't know. I'm gonna shut up now. No, I, you I go just, ahead. No, I got nothing else. I think you wrapped it up nicely. Uh, All right. Well, um, uh, so compelling. Okay, so first movie, I say watch oh, it. Sorry. I think both. I say I give both of them a thumbs up. But number two is harder to just because of the length of it. It's not a movie with worth the length that it. The is. number two is harder because of the length of it. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Why don't you take over now? Uh, no, well, I just wanted to hear you describe your number two as longer because of the length of it. So I think oh, we should baby, start. You it was a duty joke. joke. <laughs> it was a duty joke, folks. It was, it was his duty to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I want to start doing, <laughs> and, but you know what happens is I like doing this podcast with you, and so as a result, I just a long time ago stopped taking seriously the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we keep doing Patreons, and we need to upload the last couple we've done. But basically, um, I just want to sort of give a plug for, look, we, we're going to keep doing this for as long as we keep doing it. It's really not contingent on, on the finances because that's just how it is. But if you want to support us, um, we would really appreciate it if you became a $5 support, the $5 level, support us through Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reward is it gives you access to typically once or twice a month, um, a secret Patreon episode. Yeah, yeah. And we have, I, we're closing this has been up. A, I have to, and we have, let's admit, this has been an atypical last two months. Yeah, everything has been because of the studio situation. But but in any case, we're, we're closing in on 30 episodes, and you have access to all of them. And then, of course, the newer ones, if you're a, an ongoing Patreon supporter. Mm-hmm. So to hit 100. Yeah, we're going to hit 100 with our next episode. So, so no, no, of our regular episodes. But yeah, our yeah, Patreon episodes are, are heading on 30 right now. Yeah. So it's just sort of like, look, folks, the thing is, we love doing this. We'll continue doing it as long as we do it. But we really could use your support. Think about it. You know, if you like what we do, and you, and some of you are saying that you do. So I don't know. I'm getting all PBS on you. but uh-huh, Absolutely. Man. All right, dickhead. What Do you have any... <laughs> <laughs> you get more of that. The love cast. Do you have uh, anything to plug, Tommy? Uh, yeah, come check out my website, TomSmithComedy.com. Um, I guess that would be kind of it. I, I try to keep it updated on shows. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Good night. Good night to you all.